0: This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you, who donated $1 a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at CraftSanity.com. Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. Well, if you couldn't express yourself, how would you de-stress yourself? And if you couldn't make and build and sing, and paint and dance and spin would you go crazy well if you're going crazy here's something amazing to help you keep it together one two three Hello and welcome to episode 176. On this episode, we're going to talk about weaving and a new book that will help beginners get into the art form and also inspire those of you who have been weaving for a while now. The book is called Inventive Weaving on a Little Loom, Discover the Full Potential of the Rigid Heddle Loom for Beginners and Beyond. And now I'm going to kick it to my guest
1: for a little introduction. Hello, my name is sign Mitchell. I am forty five years old, and I live in Fall City, Washington.
0: Some of you might recall Sign from the podcast that she produced called Weavecast. She also has published Weave Zine. She's written many articles about weaving. And she's taught classes all over the place. She has a very interesting background and a very uh, diverse professional experience as well. So it's going to be really fun for you to settle in with the project and hear Sign's story. But before we launch into that, I want to thank the folks at ACS Home and Work for sponsoring the podcast and also all my lovely Patreon sponsors. Thank you so much for helping me keep this show going. I really appreciate it. All right, so let's get to that interview. Thank you so much for being a guest. I am just thrilled to have you on the show. I know that you had you know, a podcast as well. And are, are you still <laughs> podcasting? Are you?
1: I, I have aspirations to get back to it. I have about three episodes in the can that just need to be edited and posted. And I still get a lot of questions and enthusiasm from listeners. So I'm encouraged to um, get back into it, especially now that the book is done.
0: I took a hiatus from podcasting myself, and it was completely unplanned. I know from experience once you get out of the routine it's hard to get back into it but we'd love to have you back (laughs) (laughs) so in good time you do what you need to do because that's what I I had to do what I needed to do and and get back to it but I know uh, you have not been sitting idle when you weren't podcasting because you have this wonderful book inventive weaving on a little loom discover the full potential of the rigid heddle loom for beginners and beyond and this is such a cool book I love all the photography all the way through you can open this book read it and, and weave and, and just get to work, even if you don't have access to uh, a weaving class in your area. And that's really great. I know weaving classes are easier to find now, but at the time that I was starting out, I had to wait. I think I waited like two or three months to get into a class because there just wasn't a lot of options and the demand was high and the people teaching, there weren't as many people teaching. So thank you for your book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome. It, it was a lot of fun writing it. I had a couple of goals when I wrote the book. One was, like you said, to help folks who don't have a weaving teacher handy. And the other was I wanted to, I had in my podcast, I had talked to a bunch of artists about what spurred their creativity, and one of the things that came up over and over again was this idea of design limitations. Like if you put yourself in a box, your brain would naturally try to figure out how to break out of that box. So when I pitched the book, I had a somewhat selfish goal of the idea of taking a year, or in my case, it turned into four years, to fully explore everything you could do with a relatively simple loom and then convert that into a book. And that's what I did. And it was tremendous fun. And I took everything I knew from weaving on floor looms and puterized looms and table looms and just threw it at the rigid huddle loom and went to see how far I could go and there were things that surprised and delighted me and things that I think will resonate with beginners. And what I'm really excited about is I taught rigid huddle weaving for so long that I understand a lot of the pitfalls beginners could fall into. Mm-hmm. So I start the book with, here's how to weave. Here are the problems you're likely to run into. Here's how to solve them. Here's what to do when you weave something ugly, et cetera, et cetera. But then through the exploration of, you know, just how far can you go with this loom, I think I have – some juicy content for people who are ready to move into the intermediate stage, and then some just wild out-of-the-box stuff for those who are becoming advanced rigid pedal weavers.
0: So for people who haven't seen it yet, explain how you set this up, what people can expect from it.
1: First thing we need to do is get you up and weaving. So I talk about the theory of weaving, you know, warp and weft for people who are completely new and don't know the terminology because I know that can be something that's a stumbling block for people. Then I talk about what kind of rigid heddle loom you might want. And that came out of teaching because that was one of the first questions people asked. They're like, what is the best rigid heddle loom? Right. And, the to, and the answer to that, of course, is it depends. You know, I have my favorite I, or a couple of favorites, but then I've had other people who weave on my favorites and it doesn't work for them. And mm-hmm. I've woven on some other people's favorites and they don't work for me. So, you know, the best thing to do there is like with a spinning wheel or knitting needles, just go try it see what works for you, then to really be successful with weaving, there are some things you need to understand, like color theory, like how to choose yarns, how to put yarns together in designs that are harmonious. So I start with all of that because, you know, I want people who do this, do the projects in this book to be able to move beyond the projects, come up with their own weaving designs and to be successful with those designs. And let's see, oh, I talk about how to plan projects in terms of how much warp and how much weft so you don't run out in the middle, how to right. fix Right, and that's very, that's
0: very important because you s- often can't find the same yarn that you started with. So, yeah. Yeah, it's
1: important to plan. I'm trying to save people from my stash, essentially, because when I first started weaving, I would just buy a whole bunch of yarn, mm-hmm. way more than I would ever mm-hmm. need for the project just to make sure I didn't run out. But there is, there is math that can help you with that. Right, you right. right.
0: And then the yarn doesn't take over your house. So, yeah, that is nice. Well, it do. probably
1: will anyway, but at least it will be for different reasons. <laughs> right. so.
0: It'll be different uh, yarn, not all the same yarn.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And then I just slowly work through different techniques, starting with, you know, the easy beginner stuff. And I try to teach a technique and then give you a project to practice with. So you have at least a beginning place before you start your own explorations with those techniques. And I moved from single heddle work to finger-manipulated work to um, a technique that I learned from Betty Davenport's books where you use a pickup stick, but you use it behind the heddle so you don't have to keep picking up each row. It's very efficient. It was in her book, Textures and Patterns for the Rigid Heddle Loom, an excellent resource. If you're interested in rigid heddle weaving, I highly recommend this book. It's like the Marguerite Davidson for rigid huddle weaving. <laughs> and Marguerite Davidson is another book that you should get. Uh, <laughs> then after that, uh, I start working with mu- multiple heddles because I find that each heddle that you add is like adding one more shaft to your rigid huddle loom. So adding one turns your rigid huddle loom into a three-shaft loom, and that opens up a whole bunch of possibilities in terms of weaving fine cloth, theo mormon some other techniques like that. And then towards the end of the book, where things are getting crazy, I add two additional heddles. So you end up with three total. And that turns your rigid heddle loom into essentially a four-shaft loom.
0: Which is pretty amazing because a lot of people aren't thinking when they buy a basic loom that they can push it to that, they can do (laughs) that kind of work on it, which is really fun.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm not the first person to do that. I came up with my technique of translating four shaft patterns into the rigid heddle loom because I was teaching a class and a student said, can you do that? So we sat down together as as a class and figured out how to. But in the 1980s, there were two thin monographs published on this. One was by David McKinney, who was actually a Buddhist monk. And I used to joke that you have to have the patience of a monk to weave with three heddles, but actually it's not that hard. And the other was David Zanakis who is the powerhouse publisher behind Knitters and other bags?
0: I'm looking at the pictures here. When you started just pushing how complex your weaving was getting on a rigid-huddle loom, were you having to retrofit looms, or did these looms come prepared for those advancements? Is this something that you tried to do? You had to retrofit yourself, or are these um, manufacturers making the looms ready for this advanced weaving?
1: There was a happy accident in that the shaft slipped which is one of my go-to looms just because it is indestructible, essentially, (laughs) has three places to put the heddles when you're threading. And I talked to Jane Patrick, who is one of the co-owners of Shack Looms. Yeah, I've actually interviewed her.
0: Great. Yeah, no,
1: she's she's fantastic. And her books on rigid heddle weaving are wonderful as well. But she added a second slot on the back because she was pre-thinking of double heddle work because she knows a lot about rigid heddle looms. And it's awesome to have somebody like that actually guiding design. (laughs) Yes, that's wonderful. And she put that extra threading spot so you'd have room to get in between to do double heddle threading. But then I found out that there was another slot. So you actually have three ready to go on the shack flip.
0: Yeah, and I think on page 182 in your book... There's a photo, and I believe that I'm looking at the flip. Now, I don't, yep. own, I don't own the flip. Um, I have a knitter's loom, and then I have
1: bigger looms from the same company. But I want to talk about other looms because I'm not saying everybody should run out and get a flip. If you have an Ashford knitter's loom or some other loom, I have found that you can either use clamps to hold the heddles you know, upright while you're threading, and then usually you can just float the harnesses while weaving, like your tension on your work oh, yeah. is strong enough. Be,
0: yeah, because these are little, yeah, this, they, they don't weigh a lot. So they can kind right. of just so
1: be. I've done double heddle weaving on a Shap Cricket. I've done it on an Ashford Knitter's loom. Uh, those are the looms I own. And I haven't needed to add double heddle things to the other looms. So I encourage students to try it first before they do any upgrades and modifications and that will you know inform whether or not they even need to
0: because they're working so small it's not like you're floating a giant piece of equipment across your loom I mean this right. is pretty light so this yeah. is this had to be so fun for you to <laughs> just explore these things like just to see what was possible so were you doing weaving every day like how intensive was your practice as you were researching your book
1: I was doing weaving every day until I had to go get a day job and I worked for about three years at Amazon, in Amazon Web Services. Oh, wow. So weaving did slow down during that period. But then I took a year off and had time to just only focus on weaving and taking care of the family and the house, and that was blissful. And I did quite a bit of weaving during that time to help finish up the book, weaving every day, um, exploring every day, which was delightful and fun.
0: And then are you back working a day job now?
1: I am. I'm working at Google now, and Google – it's not about weaving, but it's interesting. Uh, <laughs> Google, Google is a company that really invests in having its employees long-term. So when I started working at Google, I was working you know, long hours, over hours, on the weekend, what I was used to. And my boss and my lead actually said, no, no sign. You need to just go home on the weekends and relax. You need to not work late. And what really struck me when I really realized how different Google was from any other tech company I'd worked at, was I went home on Friday. I did not look at email. I did not check into work. I came in on Monday and I had no emails from other coworkers. They really walk the walk. People go home and they enjoy their weekend and they don't worry about work until they're back at work. Jeez, awesome.
0: I need to get a job at Google. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, right? That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well I think that's kind of what make well that's what makes Google appealing to a lot yeah. of, of people. And what a great, that's a great philosophy. So hopefully that'll yeah. permeate American culture and other companies will adopt right. such practices.
1: It's smart too, because companies spend a lot of money recruiting and hiring and training employees. And you could just save so much money by just making them happy so they still. <laughs>
0: right, right. Then you don't have to work as hard.
1: And from a purely selfish point of view, I now have weaving time on the weekends. So I'm very excited about Which that. Which you
0: deserve. You should have that. That's great. Because <laughs> it's not fair for you to like put all this work into a book and then not get to do the weaving yourself. <laughs> I, mean, I know. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's lovely. Thank you, Google, for allowing you to, to be able to do some weaving. That's really cool. Um, so so as you work your way through, I know I'm looking at page 174 and I'm seeing this really pro- – pro- it never even occurred to me to do transparency work. On a rigid huddle, like I never have attempted this. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, these are so cool. Um, and for those who are wondering, like weaving a transparency, like what does that even mean? Um, how would you explain this to the folks at home?
1: It's a supplemental weft technique. So essentially you weave a ground cloth that is very loose and open, looks like fishnet, big holes. And then you have a fluffy, squishy supplemental weft that you weave at the same time as you're weaving the ground cloth to fill in those holes. Then when you hold the transparency up to a window or some backlighting, the light shines through the holes and you get a silhouette of the design that you've woven in the supplemental list. Very lovely.
0: Yes. And you have, uh, and even the skull and crossbones is lovely, I have to say. Yeah, no. <laughs> There's a skull and crossbones and a, and a house are the two examples in the book. And it's just so fun. You just packed a lot of inspiration into this book. And what is the
1: story behind the skull and crossbones? <laughs> okay. Back before I was a weaver, I wrote science fiction novels, and I actually met my husband through writing, through a science fiction writing workshop. And so when we got together and got married and started living together, we both needed our space. You know, when you're sitting down and writing, you get into that state of flow. You you know, the story is rolling out of you. You're typing as fast as you can. And if somebody says, oh, hey, are we out of coffee filters? <laughs> Boom, you know, you've lost, you've lost the thread and it's just impossible to get back into it. So we came up with the idea of having little stickers, little Post-it notes with scary faces drawn on them that would let the other of us, without asking, know that the other person was working and not to be disturbed. And so this transparency is my, I'm working, um, <laughs> scary picture. And I would, it used to be, I had this, um, Little kind of cave I worked in, it was two desks stocked on top of each other. It was for podcasting for good sound, and so I'd be in my little hole with my transparency hanging, and the monitor light would glow through it. It was very effective <laughs>
0: well, that's great, yeah, I've often thought I need a recording or some kind of light to put outside my office, so people know whether or not they should open the door or not uh, because <laughs> people were like wondering if I'm just on a phone call or if I'm recording or what's happening. And so, yeah, well, that's great. So
1: you have a clear warning to people that you are working. Actually, now um, in the new house that caused me to get the full-time job, I have a a big studio all to myself, but it's an open floor plan house. So I have a velvet rope cordoning off my studio when I'm working, which I just love. Does your family pretty much
0: respect the, the, the rope?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. Because my husband, you know, shares my values that work is important. And my son is learning. He's 12. (laughs) Sometimes he sneaks under the rope for hugs. Did you do all the
0: writing for your book in your
1: your home studio? (laughs) I did all of the writing here in this new house in the home studio. I drew on both my experience as a fiction writer, as a online magazine editor, and as a technical writer, because that's my day job. So it was very easy for me to write stuff that was fun, engaging, technically accurate and clear and hopefully easy to understand.
0: Right, and that's the mix the, the really that perfect blend of of skills that you need to do a book like this. Because writing about weaving is I think it it's, it's I think it seems a little more technical to me than um, writing about like if you're going to write a crochet or knitting pattern, you still need to have you have your pattern but you're not really telling people. You're not talking as much about tools because people are using their needle, you know, if they're knitting needles or their crochet hook. It's like one thing or two things that they're using. With mm-hmm. a with a loom, there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, the prep for before you even get to the weaving part. And now this is what separates the the diehards from the people that have very short attention spans. Is because people will be will ask me like, oh, so how long does that take to weave? And I'm like, wow, the weaving really only took an hour, but the prep took like four hours. <laughs> and people will be like, what do you mean? Like that sounds terrible, you know. <laughs>
1: I describe it as having three hobbies. I have three hobbies. One is warping looms, which I do rather enjoy. One is weaving, which I also enjoy, and the final one is finishing, which I enjoy less. But
0: yeah, yeah, it uh, is hard. You to have to embrace all three the parts. The whole process. I'm seeing in here some tools and some things that I have not tried yet. Uh, what is this called it, you weave with fabric strips? I've used the old school, but this really this contraption here with a round piece that looks like you're winding on your it's like a school. Oh, the papana
1: shuttle. Yeah, yeah, that's really yeah, that's cool. That's a Swedish invention. They do a, a lot of papana. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Weaving.
0: you think? Yeah, I, I was going to have you pronounce it because I was afraid to <laughs> mispronounce it. <laughs>
1: That is one of the dangers of podcasting. I used to, before I podcasted, like go out and try to, you know, Google how everything is pronounced. Oh my, it's so stressful. I should have done that for a couple of It's so,
0: so stressful. But don't worry. I think we're, I think they'll forgive us. We're promoting their product. Has this been uh, available in the United States for a while? And I just have been under a rock, not paying attention.
1: I think there are vendors in the US. Frankly, I got mine by doing web development for a weaving artist and teacher. That was my payment, or part of my payment.
0: (laughs) Well, that's exciting.
1: I did have one thing I wanted to say about uh, weaving and technology. Well, by all means, let's hear it. Okay. (laughs) Absolutely. This speaks to what you were saying about knitting and crocheting versus weaving. I describe weaving as the geek's fiber art because there's a lot of, like you said, tooling, and there's a lot of physics in it. And one of the things I really love about weaving is I actually have a background in physics. That's what I went to college for. Oh, wow. So it gives me a chance to really play around with mechanics. And one of the things that I put into the book that I think is a little unique is a scientific perspective to how the looms work. For example, one of the things I talk about is when you're getting the tension on the warp, and that's a super important thing in weaving is to have even tension across the width of the warp. It's also super hard to get. Well, Peggy Osterkamp taught me this technique where you tie the bundle in the middle, then you advance the front break one click, you tie the two next bundles on the outside, advance it one click, and keep working your way outward, advancing one click. And I always wondered, well, and it works, it works beautifully, it gives you great tension. I always wondered, well, why does that work? And that's one of the things I got to really think about while writing the book and, you know, put the explanation of the physics in, into the book.
0: Which is great, because a lot of people just sit down and they want to start weaving, And uh, so where did you go to study
1: physics? Oh, (laughs) I went to Florida State University for graduate school.
0: And what did you expect that you were going to do with your life when you were in (laughs) in school studying physics?
1: I thought I was going to be a physicist. I thought I was going to do experimental physics, you know, research the universe and, you know, hopefully one day win that Nobel Prize. Well, and then what happened after you graduated? Uh, What I really did was through the process of going to grad school, I was doing great. I was getting A's and B's. But what I noticed is that people who were passionate about physics were doing much better than I was. The people who would clutch their physics textbooks to their heart and like carry them home at night to read before <laughs> bed. There are such people and there we, are. We bless them. I mean we yeah. need people like that in the world. Yeah. But I was going home and I was writing, you know, sword and sorceress fantasy stories and adventure tales because I'd <laughs> had enough physics during right. my day. Right. And I realized that You need that kind of passion to be successful at things. Like, I was always going to be a B-grade physicist. So I thought, well, why don't I follow my passion and go off and write fiction? And I did. And I did for many years. And I had a certain level of success. I've published five novels. I've written many short stories. And it, it was
0: fun. And so at what point did you get into the weaving? Did that overlap with your writing
1: of novels? Before I answer that question, I just want to say, I feel like no education is ever lost. Because the physics has informed my approach to weaving and helped me be more successful that and it sounds like you have a degree in journalism, is that correct? Yeah,
0: a journalism and communication uh, is my master's, yes.
1: And look what you're doing right this very moment. Mm-hmm. So th- there you go. Absolutely. How did I get into weaving? Was that been a question? Yeah,
0: yeah, I was just curious about whether that overlapped with your the years you spent writing uh, or if that's something that kind of came on after.
1: I started weaving because I got pregnant sounds strange, but it's true <laughs> So I got pregnant, and I was eight months pregnant, and I knew that once the baby came, my world was going to change. I was going to be you know at home a lot more. I wasn't going to have much free time. I was going to be taking care of this kid twenty four seven and I got freaked a little bit, <laughs> and so I decided <laughs> so I decided to do as many fun for me things as I could before the baby was born. And I had always been interested in weaving. And there was a weaving retreat, a whole week worth of weaving, taking place not too far from me. It's actually taught by Judith McKenzie. And how lucky am I to have her as my very first weaving teacher? (laughs) Not too shabby. (laughs) No, and I think that really set me on the path for a lot of success because she taught me some very good habits like Record keeping and paying attention to what you do and understanding the yarns. But anyway, so I'm eight and a half months pregnant. I call up the weaving retreat organizer who was Suzanne Peterson, who actually is one of the people who run Madrona. So, again, very lucky. Mm -hmm. The Madrona winter retreat. If you don't know about it, it's a fantastic festival. So I call her up and I'm asking all kinds of questions like, how many bathrooms do you have? And And how close are you to the nearest (laughs) hospital? Yeah. And is the food you serve organic? And she told me later after we became friends that she thought I was a complete nut job. (laughs) When I showed up, when I showed up and my belly's like out to here, she was like, Oh,
0: you're like, by the way, is anyone a midwife or a (laughs) delivery nurse? (laughs) Any doctors in the house? Well, what was funny
1: is my child actually came two weeks early, so he came three days after the class ended, (laughs) so I was super lucky (laughs) I went then. Here's a little bit more of the story. One of the projects I wanted to weave at the camp was a baby blanket, of course, and so that was a project that was still on my loom when I went home, and when I was actually in labor with my son, I was finishing up the baby blanket hurriedly because I had a home birth, and I kept saying to myself, I have to get the blanket done before the baby comes. And (laughs) that's what happened. (laughs) Really? You got it done? Yeah, like, like hours before, like the baby, like I was having one of those slow um, progressions. Mm -hmm. And I think it was because I I wouldn't give birth until the blanket was done.
0: No, I think psychologically, women have quite a bit of control (laughs) over things like that, especially people that are hell bent on finishing something. (laughs) It sounds like you were like, no, this is going to happen.
1: Yeah, but it it makes it easy to tell people how long I've been weaving because I just look at my son and his age, and there and you're you go. Like, yeah, plus uh,
0: yeah, plus one week. Um, <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> That's really great. So you, um, did you realize though, when you were racing to get that baby blanket done, it sounds like you had already decided in that week of time that you spent at this retreat that you loved it and you didn't really want that part of your life to begin and end with becoming a mom so did you know that you were going to try to find a way to make room in your life for this weaving to continue
1: well here's the thing newborn babies sleep a lot they do so they're, they're so awesome that way <laughs> yeah so those Pretty first awesome. like two months I wove like a wild thing because I had just <laughs> discovered this new you know it was probably the most productive time of my my weaving life right but I I wove and wove, and because of the training, I took, you know, notes of, you know, what yarns I used, what set I used, you know, samples of before and after washing and all of that stuff. And so I learned a tremendous amount during that period. And then I was involved in my local weaving guild, and so that was a great way to get out of the house, go meet other people, get inspired, take workshops through the guild that taught me, you know, techniques like velvet, like Theo Mormon, you know, all of these things that eventually worked their way into the book. Well, not velvet. The velvet chapter was cut. But it was just a great experience in terms of community and learning. So I strongly advise anybody who has a guild near them to go check out their local weaving guild because it can be a wonderful way to learn more about the craft and meet new friends.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that strikes me, too, um, I am a member of the Woodland Weavers Guild in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it's really strikes me because I'll sit with these women. We have we have some men in the group as well, but it's primarily women and uh it's just kind of this um low-key group and a lot of the women that go and have been going for years will talk about their weaving. They go to all the workshops, you know, they'll, they'll really they've really studied this and they've been studying weaving for years and they do not even realize what a wealth of information they possess uh so when you ask a question about something they will they will start talking and and they don't build themselves as experts at all in fact they don't see themselves that way uh but just by sitting next to somebody at a guild meeting somebody who's been weaving for 10 or 20 or 30 years you can learn so much inside one conversation so Mm -hmm. even if you can't dedicate time to going to the workshop or the weekend retreats or um you know launching yourself full blast into a weekly class. If your schedule or your life does not really leave room for that right now, just joining a group like that and having the conversations and seeing show and tell show and tell is so great. I love it. Cause I, you know, oh, yeah. you go
1: and you see what Very, people are
0: doing and, it's just it's like a mini workshop, basically, you know, because people can talk about what di- worked, what didn't work, show their samples. And I just feel so grateful anytime I get to talk to weavers who I have been uh, weaving longer than I have and uh, are in a place where they can, can try things and it also has given me I look forward to retirement at some point too, <laughs> I mean, because these ladies are maximizing their time they haven't retired really they're going full blast into the arts and it's great it's absolutely great to see
1: indeed indeed I have a lot of women in my guild that I hope to be when I grow up they look yeah. like they're having a great time.
0: They are, and it's just it's a it's just great to to be able to connect with other people in your community who are doing these these experiments at home. That sometimes family and friends who aren't into fiber art don't necessarily understand why you would wrestle for hours with a loom to get it to be <laughs> set up to then get to the what I call the fun part because I really like the weaving part is my favorite part. But I'm willing to put in sometimes hours of time, and then you get done, and you're like, oh, I threaded it wrong, and you have to do it again. <laughs>
1: I, I actually really like. I actually really like the problem solving. Like I said, I do actually consider warping as much of a hobby as weaving. And I've recently discovered a new hobby that I really like, which is loom modif- loom modification. Right. I have. It sounds like a reality I a show. <laughs> I know, like loom hunters. That yeah. would be so cool. Yeah. <laughs> you go. You find old looms. You refurb them. But I have a ginormous AVL production lobby production hobby loom in the middle of my studio. Oh, cool. And I've been slowly modifying it, some based on the advice of Laura Fry, who's a Canadian hand weaver and a dear friend of mine, and some based on just experiments of playing with things and going, oh, this would be better if it was just a little different. And one of the things I think weavers shy away from doing is because our looms are, are beautiful and they're intricate machines is sometimes we're hesitant to make changes to mm-hmm. them.
0: Oh yeah. Cause you're like, Oh, it's cherry wood. I don't want to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. You just kind of like, yeah. respect it as it is and don't want to mess too much.
1: But I, I think once you get to the point where you're not afraid to drill that hole and to make that one little change and, and make the weaving go smoother, I think that's a really exciting time in your journey as a weaver.
0: Mm-hmm. And if you drill a hole in the wrong spot, just maybe tie a loop of yarn <laughs> through it. That's really beautiful, and, <laughs> and just act like right. you meant to do it. That's not, that's, that's right. my decorate it. Yeah, that's my. I'm gonna just hang a dangle something there, a little charm.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have I have drilled holes in the wrong places many many times.
0: Yeah, well, it does add character.
1: It does add character. Well, that's. That's what the little wood dowels are for, right? You put them in there.
0: Right. Uh, anyway. <laughs> well, what's what's nice too is I think sometimes people uh get really excited about weaving by a loom and then it becomes like a showpiece, but not something that's used. And I think that yeah, that's bad. when you look at a loom and it shows a little wear and tear, that's actually a good thing. And I think the loom is happier to have the wear and tear. Um, I mean, my looms don't talk. If they start talking to me, that's when I know I probably... Maybe should reach out for some help. Um, but, um, I've never had a conversation with my loom, but I know that any tools that I use, it seems like it, it, these things were created to be used. So I, I yeah. think it's it's best when you can um, – you know, I used to weave every single day when I was – back when I was a police reporter – and I was writing about death and destruction every day, going to mm. fires and accidents, and just writing about bad news. And I got to be like my release from that was to go home and I'd weave for at least an hour every night. I worked a night shift; my shift ended at nine. I get home about nine thirty, assuming I could leave on time. Uh, sometimes I couldn't, but when I would get home, I would always weave before I went to bed, and that helped me so much.
1: I think there's something really healing about making. Oh yes. <laughs> Taking control of something and making something beautiful out of your time. I, like you, when I've had stressful jobs, I've come home, I've either woven or spun or knit. And I've noticed that the more stressful time I'm having it at, at the job or in life, the simpler and simpler my projects get. Mm-hmm. So even very simple plain weave projects have their time and their place.
0: Oh yeah. In fact, plain weave is my favorite when I'm stressed out. Cause it, it, when you're stressed, I mean, I think that's probably the exactly the wrong time to try to um, <laughs> warp your loom with yeah. something really aggravating. I mean, something, well, not aggravating, but something that requires a lot of att- attention to the setup. So if you can just set up in a plain weave and go, Heck, just weave on yeah, a piece and- of cardboard in your purse. Just bring, you know, I've, I've done that where I'll just have a project and I'll be like, okay, this is getting ridiculous, folks. And I'll take a, you know, take your 15-minute smoke break where you're not smoking, you're just weaving, and um, you, you just kind of bring yourself back to a good, grounded place to face the world. And plain weave is awesome. Love it.
1: Plain weave has a tremendous amount of design potential. Like, I know many weavers who've woven for 30 years and have only woven plain weave, but they've done so much with color mm-hmm. and texture and you know, dimensional, like you use highly energetic highly energized yarn and have it shrink up and do interesting things dimensionally, mm-hmm. so plain weave is is not a simple structure
0: yeah it's it's fantastic. it really goes to show too like the experimentation that people once you learn the basic skills of weaving, you really can do any number of things, infinite number of things, and uh, that's what's so wonderful to talk to other weavers and uh, you know it, it'll be interesting to see when projects start. It's probably a little early, but when people start doing some oh, projects for your books, are they starting to? Are they starting to pop up now? I would love now? that. You know, so are people? Are you using any particular hashtag or what? What would you like people I to should, do? Because you got to start hashtag a hashtag. In, it, yeah, hashtag. I don't know.
1: Is it inventive weaving too long? I
0: don't, I don't, know. don't think so. But I mean, I, that's the name of the book. I mean, that
1: that could work. Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag inventive weaving would be awesome. I just joined Instagram. I would love to see stuff on Instagram, and it wouldn't be cool. I don't know how much. Support Ravelry has for weaving, but something like that, maybe Weevolution. I don't know. I would love to see projects that people. Yeah, well, I think Instagram Instagram
0: is definitely a really easy way for people to share progress shots, and I I love Instagram. I'm on it every single day and document all my projects that I do. And um, in fact, when I'm doing things, oh, go ahead, go ahead.
1: Should I share my Instagram? Yes, I was just going to ask
0: you. Please do.
1: I am sign Mitchell, no space, all lowercase on Instagram.
0: Okay, cool. And so have you been posting? When when did you join?
1: I joined two weeks ago.
0: It'll be a great way for you to see what other people are doing in response to the work you put out there. That's great that you're on. I'll have to to connect with you because I'd love to see your projects.
1: I'm really enjoying Instagram because I'm such a visual person that for me I like to communicate in pictures and it's great to see other people's pictures as well. So yeah. And social media is awesome for weavers because often we are dispersed because it's not that common a hobby, not yet. And it's a great way to connect, like you said, and have that conversation at 2 a.m., perhaps with somebody on the other side of the world where it's not 2 a.m. for them.
0: One of the things that I think is so wonderful is when you see someone come out with a book that is really a culmination of their life experience or academic training and, you know, just being out there as an, as an instructor yourself. How long have you been teaching weaving?
1: Well, I took everything that was in me that I knew about weaving and put it into this book. So it's, it's all there. And it was wonderful that Story gave me an opportunity to do that. Teaching weaving. I, let's think. Well, I had a background as a teacher. I've taught both at the high school and college levels. And so once I knew that I had something to say about weaving, and I, of course, had this great passion for weaving, I approached my local yarn store. And I said, hey, I want to teach a class on rigid huddle weaving. And at that time, rigid huddle weaving was not so much a thing. And they were <laughs> kind of like, uh, because I mean, some weavers have the impression that the rigid huddle loom is the baby loom that you grow out of. and And that's fine if that happens. But there's also a large contingent of weavers these days who are coming full circle and are like, well, I'm downsizing. I'm getting rid of the huge loom. And this little small loom that I can still do a lot of good stuff with is fitting my new lifestyle. But anyway, I I showed up the weaving store and they were not so enthusiastic. So I brought in samples like, look, I made this, I made this, I made this. I'd like to teach these. And I got my foot in the door. I started teaching my friend, Suzanne, who runs the Madrona winter retreat, took a risk on me because I was unknown in the fiber world at that time and let me teach. And I think I started teaching in 2006. I, I have the actual details on my website but it's, it's been a while. You know, I've taken hiatuses as I worked on the book and as I, you know, got more involved in a full-time job.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's something I really enjoy because I learned so much from my students. They approach things from different perspectives that I'd never thought about. Sometimes they have ideas I never thought about. Sometimes they ask great questions like the, hey, how would you take a four shaft pattern and put on a rigid little head of loom that spurs a whole new area of interest for me? Mm-hmm. So I, I love teaching for that, and I, my experience as a teacher for many years really informed what I put into the book because I wanted people who didn't have access to a local teacher to have that same experience of hand-holding and like, oh, yes, this mistake, but here's how you fix it, that sometimes isn't available in every book.
0: Now that you have this out there, are you going to be teaching – Based on, like, to promote your book, are you going to be traveling around? Uh, what is your plan to meet some of the folks who will be reading this book? Yeah, I've done a little bit of traveling
1: already. I went to Rhinebeck this year, oh, the Sheep and Wool Festival. It was amazing. I had no idea how many thousands of people showed up to that event. And I went to the Columbia Gorge Fiber Festival, which was also wonderful. I have gotten a lot of requests to teach at various guilds and conferences. I, Because I have a day job and I love to spend time with my family and I love to do my own art, I'm being very selective about where I teach. Mm -hmm. And part of me is sad about that because I love teaching so much. But part of me, you know, now that I'm 45 and I've learned a few life lessons, I realize that I have to conserve my energy so that I can fully commit to the things that I do choose to do instead of kind of spreading myself too thin and not doing a great job. Right. So I am teaching, and I have a website, signmitchell.com, where I have a teaching tab that shows all the places I'm going to show up.
0: Okay, cool. And what's the next thing that's coming up? Um, do you have anything? Come, what's your next uh, next opportunity people have to
1: go and meet you? The Madrona Fiber Arts Winter Retreat. I'll be teaching there. I'll be teaching the Mormon technique in a class that I call scribble weaving. It's an exciting cool. technique where you weave the ground cloth, and then you basically play and draw with a fancy yarn on top of the ground cloth. It's super fun. You use both a supplemental warp and a supplemental left. Wow. And
0: That's then at- sounds complicated.
1: Oh, it's not. That's the beautiful part. You use two huddles and it's super easy. Well, not super easy. I would call it advanced beginner to easy intermediate. Cool. But it will be fun. And then after that, I believe I'm teaching at Anwig in April or March. Do you do
0: knitting and crocheting and all that other stuff too? Or are are you mainly in the weaving
1: as your main activity? I think my real hobby is learning how to do new things because throughout my life, I have picked up hobby after hobby after hobby. And it wasn't until I fell into fiber arts that I really found a direction and could, you know, explain to my husband that it was all using the same fiber, the same yarn. It's all kind of the same art. But yes, I knit, I spin, I weave, I have tatted a little bit, I've done a little bit of bobbin lace, pretty much anything that you can do with, lo- you can do with yarn, I get interested in. And I just have to learn how to do it because I, I can't not know. My current, <laughs> thing, <laughs> my current thing I'm learning is how to sew. This is something I've tried to learn several times, like once every decade, I will sit down and go, now I will learn to sew. And for some reason, it has eluded me. So I'm trying again, awesome. and I will. Say, <laughs> I will say that the only fiber art I have not fallen in love with yet, and I say yet, is quilting. For some reason, quilting has eluded my interest, but I, I know that it's waiting for me. I can feel it hovering in the oh, distance, yeah,
0: yeah. to you'll come wait, find me. You'll be into that. It's once you get the sewing down, like where you realize, like, wow, this is. If you click and click with sewing, quilting is a natural thing. Some days I wish I could pick one thing. I could. I, some mm-hmm. days I wish I was only weaving, and then uh, I look around my house. I'm like, I would have so much more room if I was only weaving.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Here's 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 the real reason you need to fiber arts cross train. Because the thing you learn in one fiber art influences another, and oh, eventually gosh, you will come so to fun. that. Right. And eventually you'll come to that project that uses everything you have, like that fabric that you want to weave for that coat, but that needs this special yarn that you can't buy that has this super elastic energy to pull in at the waist in this one way. And then you want to add LEDs to make it twinkle so that, you know, when you go out dancing, it does a pattern and it brings like everything you've learned together into one art piece.
0: Yeah, because the thing is I got into printmaking and most printmakers print on paper. Like that's kind of the traditional if you're going to be a printmaker you're on cloth? i print almost exclusively on fabric and people like other printmakers are like well um what about paper in fact i actually struggle like if i'm going to print on paper i'm like oh my gosh i'm wasting paper like and when i print on fabric i'm like whatever that's a scrap bin i could use that as an interior lining of a coaster when i make quilted coasters so like i don't consider it wasting but when you print on paper and it doesn't go well uh there isn't a whole lot of other stuff I mean I guess you could you could because I have made paper before so you could you could blend it up and make pa-
1: more paper <laughs> okay okay I I now I now want to work with you on a project you will you listen to me on this sure absolutely I want to stretch out a warp so it's flat and under tension and I want you to print on the warp
0: oh my goodness that would be really fun
1: I know, right? And then you could weave it up, and what will happen is you'll get kind of in a cat effect because the threads will shift a little bit because of the tension.
0: That sounds really And you'll have this
1: amazing design, and people will not know how you wove that.
0: That's really cool. That's a good idea. (laughs) I like that idea. I don't know if there's anything that I didn't ask you that you want the folks at home to know, either about you or your book.
1: Well, it's been so great working with the people at Story. The whole team is just fantastic. Like you mentioned, the photos are great. The layout is great. But I have to give a special thank you to my editor, Gwen Siege, who, without her help, this book just simply would not exist. She was my cheerleader. She helped drag me through the process of of publication. And I just (laughs) really appreciate her help.
0: I can't wait to see what you do next. Do you have another book project that you're going to launch into? Or are you just going to take some time to weave and teach and, and talk to people about this beautiful book?
1: I was thinking about that. And I feel like... I put everything I knew currently about weaving into this book. So I'm going to take some time and explore avenues of weaving that I haven't traveled down, do more multi-shaft work, more work with uh, computer and mechanical dobbies, explore that, and we'll see if another book comes out, but it will be fun in the meantime. Yeah, it's also, like- also, also, I've kind of come full circle and I'm starting to write fiction again, which is very exciting. Oh, very cool. Are you, what's your topic now? Oh no, I, I can't talk about that because, uh, as a fiction writer, I have learned that the whole point is to communicate the story, and yeah, I find that if yeah. I talk if I talk to people about it while it's in progress, some part of my brain goes, "Oh, you're done. You've just communicated the story," and so then I don't write. So well, then it's not as I, I must be, yeah. I would love to tell you about it, but I must be strong and keep it deep, no, deep inside. No, I totally, I, I totally it. can
0: see what you're saying. Yeah, no, I believe that because I think sometimes you just have to write. <laughs> Just write it yeah. and then share the finished product then. Are you working with a publisher? Is that a book that's going to be forthcoming? Or no, you-
1: it's, it's interesting. When I first started writing, I was all about the, I must become a writer that supports herself with her writing so I can do this full time. And that didn't work out. And so I, I do, like I said, feel like I've come full circle because now I'm writing a book that I want to read and that has me excited. And I am not really worried about if I ever sell it. And there are also many more opportunities with self-publishing if I feel like oh, i going go yeah, that route. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I'm just I'm just having fun and reconnecting with my love of writing. And like I said, after this big work of getting the book out, reconnecting with my love of spinning and weaving and knitting and learning to sew. And it's just a very exciting time for me. So I, I don't know what will be next. I'm toying with the idea, like I said, of reviving Weavecast because I have some great interviews that really need to see the light of day. And talking to you has been very inspiring today. And it's great to hear that one can come back to it after a hiatus.
0: Yeah, and I really you appreciate can. You definitely can. I really
1: appreciate all the people who have reached out to me and go, we still love Wavecast, even though you haven't published a new one in a while. Because it makes me realize that there is still an
0: audience for that kind of work. And so, you know, maybe. I get inspired every time I interview people who've been able to get that book published or get that whatever they're doing off the ground. So it's really this show really inspires me a lot just to be able to talk to great people like you about what they're doing so thank you for sharing your time with me today and your story I appreciate that well thank you so much I promise I will not come stalk
1: you in Michigan to get things
0: printed I promise well a special thanks to sign for being a guest on the show I really appreciate it and I really appreciate her new book inventive weaving on a little loom. This is really great because when I started weaving, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't have a resource quite like this and I launched right into the floor loom weaving. I did have some experience on a rigid huddle loom, but if my memory serves me correctly, I bought a floor loom And then from there, I've been working backwards to tiny small looms, and now I make looms. So (laughs) it's kind of weird how I started very big and i back to the very small looms. But the cool thing that this book really demonstrates is that you can make some really, really cool stuff on a loom that's small enough to travel with checked out the book, and then post what you're making. I think it's really fun to share that with the Instagram community. I'm going to post links to Sign's website and her social media and a listing of her upcoming courses that she's going to be teaching. So you can connect there and find out more about what she's doing. And I did hear, since we recorded this interview, that she is planning to relaunch her podcast. So congratulations to her on that front. That's wonderful news. I would like to take a moment now to thank my... Patreon sponsors, once again, thank you so much. You are dear, sweet people for supporting this show. And thank you to the folks at acshomeandwork.com for continuing to sponsor Craft Sanity. I really appreciate it and love to print on those tea towels. So thanks again for your continued support. All right, folks, I need to get back to work. I have uh, my students are working on their... Final magazine project of the semester, and the topics are just wonderful and heartbreaking at the same time. And um, just really, um, it seems like every semester my students kind of surprise me in the most amazing ways. So I'm uh, working on that project with them. And then, as soon as that project's done, which will be the end of this week, it should be done, uh, I will be doing my grading and preparing for the last um, you know, few class meetings that we have, um, getting my grades turned in. And then I will be turning my attention to, well, I'll have holiday prep going on, of course. But uh, aside from that, my primary focus is going to be working on Craft Sanity Magazine. And I am so looking forward to having the time and mental space to just work on that. I cannot wait let it snow and barricade me in my house so I can just work on these projects. That's going to be so fun. I still have some room for some last minute things to be added to it. And it's kind of, um, I'm kind of going more on a theme focus. And I guess the theme of my life right now is kind of like restarting. I'm happy to report that I have been running every day, except for the days when I swim. So I've been running or swimming every day. And I've done that consistently since... Jeez, I don't even know what day I started. I have been taking pictures of my treadmill display every time, so I'm keeping my mileage that way, which is kind of a stupid way to do this. I need to get hang a calendar next to my treadmill so I can track this in a more efficient way. Um, I'm also taking like poolside photos of my goggles um, on days when I swim and trying to keep track of my mileage. I'm using Instagram as kind of my way to keep track, which is probably costing me followers, which I guess I'm not that concerned about it. Um... (laughs) I've never been a popular woman, so that's okay. Like many of you, I still feel like there is so much to do in a day and just not enough time. So that's... have not figured out how to freeze time yet. I'm still working on that. If anyone out there knows, please share your secret with me. Because I want to know too. Um, <laughs> Alright, so I'm going to get back to work. I have more student work to read. It's waiting for me downstairs. I'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, craft sanity, my friends... It works for me. Same time next week will be crappy.